Okay, before I go any further, I've got to do something. Let me help you understand the definition of reckless, okay? Um, have you watched the, a boy in your neighborhood do like riding a skateboard, doing something, you're like, oh, this is going to end poorly. This is going to be a disaster. And then, you know, he's like skating down the road and all of a sudden, wham, right into the back of a car, you know, type of thing. Like, he's reckless, right? He shouldn't be doing that. You know it. But he's going to do it anyway, regardless of what you tell him. Right? That, that's reckless. Now we're saying that God is reckless, which is a good thing, right? Okay, I'll just move on to the message, I guess. So we finish up the series, Greater Than. We're going through the book of Colossians. In this letter, I guess it's not a book, it's a letter to the people in Colossae, the Christians in the early church, and he's writing this letter to them mainly to address a false teaching that had come into the church from outside the church that were saying that pretty much these new Gentile Christians needed to fulfill and follow the law of the Jewish Christians. And, and so there was this conflict between those who were under the law versus those who were never meant to be under the law because they were Gentiles, i.e. they were not Jewish. And so there was this conflict within the church and, and they started changing some of the things that Paul had taught them when he was there with them and, and began this church when he planted it, as to use a word that we use today. And so he sends this letter to them to encourage them in what he had seen in their faith and how it was growing, but to also challenge them to not let people outside bring in their teaching to the church. So today we look at a section that the first part of it we, we might read and we might get something out of, but the last part of it's kind of like, oh, well, that's good to know, and we just move on. Well, it's actually in that, well, that's good to know stuff that's actually got some good stuff in it, and so I want to help you understand what that is. So I'm actually going to do something a little different. I'm going to jump to the last verse because it kind of doesn't go with where I'm going with the end of the message. So I'm going to put it at the very beginning because I think it's something that we need to address in our macho-driven culture. So the first thing we see in verse 15 of chapter 4, so Colossians 4.15, Paul writes, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha." and the church in her house. Okay, so you see what this is saying, right? And you're like, oh, wow, she has a church in her house. What this is saying is, um, women were in ministry. She was literally leading the church in her house. 
Well, if you know about the early church, they did not have these buildings. A lot of them had to meet in secret. They didn't, they didn't go to the synagogue. The early church didn't go to the synagogue like the early Jews did. So they didn't have a church. So a lot of them met in homes. And so they had to meet in these homes. And, and so here we see that Paul is addressing a woman who is leading the early church. Well, this is pretty powerful when you think about it. Not just for our time when we have men in some denominations who say, well, women can't be in ministry. Well, I kind of push back on that because I think everybody should be in ministry, not just us pastors or clergy. All of us are called to a ministry to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I push back on those people and their their thoughts about women not being in ministry. But we also see Paul addressing a woman as a leader in a culture where women weren't allowed to be leaders. You cooked. You cleaned. You cooked. You took care of the kids. You cleaned. You did whatever your husband told you to do. You didn't lead. You didn't lead other people to be better people. You didn't serve anyone but the people your husband said you could serve. But here we see Paul saying that this woman was not just a part of the church. She was leading the church. So important thing, I didn't want you to miss. There you have it. Now back to the top. Verse 2. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What does it mean to be devoted to prayer? Does it mean that you have your prayer closet? And you go there and that is the, the place where you pray. Or, or maybe um, you can't pray anywhere but in the church. You've got to be in a church building in order to pray. Well, I would say that you're not devoted to prayer. You're devoted to a space. De- being devoted to prayer means you pray all the time, whenever you feel led, anywhere that you're at. I'm pretty sure a lot of us have been prompted within our spirit to pray for somebody and we weren't in a church or we weren't at home in our our special chair where we typically pray, right? Those places are special and they are are sacred spaces for us and that's okay. But being devoted to something means your life revolves around it. It's important. It's a priority in your life. But he says not just to be devoted to prayer, but being watchful and thankful. Remember, he had just spent the majority of this letter telling them about this teaching that they were letting into their church, that they were beginning to believe that wasn't true. So be watchful. 
God, give me eyes to see. Open up our eyes. Just like we sang a little bit ago. Help us to see things that aren't of you. There are so many things in our world today that can be good things that really aren't. They look good. They sound good. But God, give us wisdom. Show us what is truly truth and what is of you and what isn't. When we pray, we're asking God to give us sight, to help us see his perspective in things, in the things that we're facing, in the life that we see. We see as we go on in verse 3, he starts with this, he starts to ask him, he says, pray for us. And you know, when Paul says pray for us, you know, Everyone who heard that phrase kind of stopped and they thought to themselves, I know exactly what he's getting ready to tell us. He's getting ready to say, pray that God will get me out of these chains. Pray that God will get me out of this place so that I can be free, so that I can travel and spread the gospel like God has called me to do. That's what we think in our minds, that God, or that Paul would want God to do for him, right? But is that what he says? No, not even close to what he says. This is what he prays, or he asks him to pray for. Verse 3, he says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. He didn't pray, God, remove me from these circumstances. He said he wants the place in which he is in, the circumstance which he finds himself. God, I want you in those places to proclaim the gospel, to speak the truth into the people around me. God, I'm here, I'm in chains. But God, help me proclaim what I am meant to speak clearly so that they might truly hear the truth, not just simply the words, not from the messenger. Not, don't hear the messenger, hear the message. I'm reminded of a story that I heard from Louis Giglio. He tells of a time that he was traveling and he was with his worship band. And if you might be familiar with his church, it's called Passion City Church. It's in Atlanta, um, Georgia. Um, he has a very large church, which kind of this church started out of these passion conferences that he started for college-age students to come together and worship corporately. And they pack like stadiums full of um, college-age kids every, um, I think it's late December, early January. And they just have this like three-day time of worship. And um, each session they have, they bring in a well-known speaker to share the gospel with people. And, and 
So he's telling about this time that he and his band were traveling. And when he got to the church, um, some people had told him that there was this um, family that really, really, really wanted to get the chance to, to, to meet Louis and to hear the band. And so after the night of worship, um, Louis and the band went where this family was because you see this family was at the hospital. Their son, who was 11 years old, was battling cancer. He had a tumor behind his eye, and they had just found out that the cancer was spreading pretty quickly. And so they went to the hospital to see this kid. They didn't know him. They didn't know the family, only what they had been told from the people at the church. And so they go, and Louis says, you could see the weight of what the child, this kid, was facing. You could just see the the devastation that it was having on this young boy's life. He was weak, but he was so full of life all at the same time. After they had talked with him and and the band had, had sung some songs with the family, and Louis asked him, before we leave, how can we pray for you? And he's, he lights up and he says, oh, that's easy. That people would come to know Jesus Christ through my situation. And Louis says, literally, he just has this like dumbfounded look on his face. He doesn't mention that God would heal me. He doesn't mention at all his circumstances or what he's going through. He mentions that other people might know Christ because of his situation. You see, he was chained to that bed. The only people that he had the opportunity to share Jesus with were the people who had to be there the nurses, the doctors, the friends and family that came to visit him. You see, even a pastor who speaks to thousands of people in his church, but even more that watch him online, that listen to his messages during the week through his podcasts, even to a nationally renowned recording band that speaks about Jesus in every song they sing. You see, they even learned something about Jesus that day. And Louis said, you know, I wanted to give him a second chance. So I asked him, well, what's, what's another thing you want us to pray for? And the kid just smiles and then looks down. And he says, pray for my brothers and sisters because this has taken a pretty big toll on their lives. (laughs) What the heck? He's praying that for other people he doesn't even know that they would know Jesus and he's praying for his brothers and sisters. What 11-year-old prays for their brothers and sisters? 
and not themselves. He didn't care about his circumstances. He said, God, within my circumstances, use me. You see, Colossians isn't just about believing something else. It's about being changed into someone else. That old self leaving and that new self becoming who we were meant to be. You see, when Louie and that band, when they left that hospital room, that kid may have not been healed, but those Christians were changed. They didn't change anything about what they believed. They still believed the truth of Jesus Christ, but their lives, that was a different story. Their lives were changed through an 11-year-old boy battling cancer. How would our lives change if our prayer lives focused on our witness more so than changing our circumstances? How would things look so different? You know, sure, Paul wanted to be free from prison. It's kind of a given, right? It was kind of a given that this 11-year-old boy wanted to be healed from cancer. But that wasn't the focus of their heart. Paul goes on to call these believers in Colossae to the same. He goes on in verse 5. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be wise in how you act toward outsiders. Outsiders, who's he talking about? People outside the church, people who did not know Jesus Christ. What was he saying to the church, the people on the inside? When they would have read this letter, where would they have been? They would have been together, right? In their, in their space, the church would have gathered kind of like this right here. And Paul is saying, be wise in how you interact with outsiders. So what did that tell the church? when the people who are outsiders have to come in here and look like us, talk like us, dress like us, behave like us, automatically know all these Christian words we're going to use. Automatically know that you can't sit there. I'm sorry, that's my seat. See, that's not being wise in how we treat outsiders. Because are those people going to want to come back to the inside if they're treated like outsiders where they shouldn't be? Let your conversation always be full of grace. Seasoned with salt. What does that mean? 
grace and a little bit more. When you think you've been gracious, you probably have just scratched the surface of how Jesus would have been gracious to them. I think back to, uh, I love churches that have the rule. Um, when, sometimes when I had been consulting with churches, um, you'd, you'd walk through the rest of the building and then you would get to the sanctuary and there was the notorious sign. No food or drinks in the sanctuary. And I always loved when you would see the new person who had no clue what the law was. And they came in and they came carrying their cup that they just bought from the cafe in the church. They get to the door. I'm sorry, sir, you, you need to leave that out here. You can't take that inside. Well, worship's in there. How... how I just paid like 10 bucks for this thing. And do you want me to? Well, think about that. Really, like think about it. Like something as simple as that. You see, what should have happened was, this is kind of our general rule for the people who know the rules. But we're not going to post it. Because... We don't want people who don't know Jesus to stay outside. We want them to come in here. So we get rid of the rule and issue grace so that they will see Jesus and not your dumb rule because you don't want to have to get the carpet cleaner out if they spill something. Never mind the fact that half of these mega churches don't have carpet. Just wipe it up, people. It's okay. It's not going to stain the concrete. But we have these silly things that we put in the way of people hearing about Jesus. Because this is our space. No, it's actually more for them than it is you. Because the kingdom of God isn't about you because you're in it. The kingdom of God is about reaching the people not in it yet. jump off my tangent. Um, Colossians 4 verse 7. Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has happened here. You see, this is the part where we read these things and we're like, oh, well, that's nice and warm and fuzzy. Who cares about this guy who is being sent? I can't pronounce his name. I'm going to skip over it anyway. Um, Paul's sending him. He's a good guy. And this Onesimus guy, um, yeah, whatever. But guess what Tychius was doing? He was taking the letter to the church. And notice what it says, that he is a faithful minister and fellow servant. 
You see, what he didn't realize was at the time was that he was literally carrying the message of God. He didn't know that later we will one day put it in a big book and call it Scripture. The Word of God. He didn't know that, but he was literally being faithful in the thing that he was called to do. And to us, we see it as just a flippant, ordinary task. But he saw it as an opportunity to be faithful. An opportunity to have significance in the kingdom of God. But you know, I've talked to so many people that like to downplay their role as a Christian. Typically, when you ask someone about volunteering, I typically get in response all the ways that they are insufficient to do that thing. But you know, typically, I don't go ask someone to volunteer for something if I don't think that they're a good fit for the role. You know, um, when you ask someone to be a greeter, um, I don't go to that one person that, wait, stop. All of you just thought of that one person that should never be asked to be a greeter because they're not a people person. I don't go find that person and ask them, hey, will you be a greeter for us? Because I know you have such a great smile. You've never seen it before in your life. But you don't go to them. So I go to the people that I think would be a good fit because their, their personality fits this or this is, they're in a good place in their faith and they have the opportunity to speak into people's life. But the first thing they tell me is all the ways that they are not capable of doing it. You just missed an opportunity to be impactful, to influence the kingdom of God which is every Christian's job. Whether you believe it or not, if you don't believe it, read your Bible because it tells you. We all have a role to play in the kingdom of God, no matter how big or small. I, like, for example, um, Ducktail Run is coming up. Um, I, I see some people shaking their head like, oh, this is a nightmare. This is a Like, and, and I, I would put a list together of all of the roles that we need filled. And we used to have this role of um, wrapping the silverware in a napkin. Oh, the holiness of this job. Like, it's the most spiritual pleasing thing ever. <laughs> no, not at all, right? But let me ask you, if we don't have silverware with napkins, but we serve the people food, and we say, here's your plate of food, enjoy. How do we eat this? Well, cavemen, obviously. I mean, just shovel it in. No woman would ever come back, and maybe only a few men, because you know there are some that don't care, because they already don't use their silverware. 
But do you see how a small, meaningless job now has kind of a significant role in serving food? You see, I believe every job we have in the kingdom of God is significant. Is an opportunity to show the love of Jesus. Is an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ to somebody who needs to experience it that day. Real quick, I'm talking too much. Verse 10 says, my fellow prisoner, Articus, Articus, sorry, sends you his greeting. So does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Who are these people? Like I've, We've seen Mark before. We've seen Barnabas before in, in the book of Acts. But we don't realize the significance of this. Let me tell you really quick. Okay, this is going to be fast. Okay, so the first missionary journey that Paul went on, he had a buddy, which was Barnabas. So Barnabas invited his cousin, Mark, to go with them. Well, halfway through their travels, Mark says, this is, I don't like this job. I'm out of here. And he abandons Paul. He quits. This whole idea of spreading the gospel and going different places and traveling and and sleeping under the stars, hate it, not doing it again, I'm out. Second missionary journey comes along. Paul and Barnabas, again, tag-teaming it together. Barnabas says, hey, let's give Mark a second chance. Paul's like, I'm not going anywhere with that quitter. Not happening. Barnabas says, hey, yo, this is my cousin. He's got to go. Paul said, nope. Paul and Barnabas go opposite directions. Now, Paul's lived a little life. He's experienced God's grace when he probably didn't deserve it. He's learned a little bit about grace in his letters that he's written because he, he's talking about this grace of Jesus Christ. And then there's a moment in his mind where he's like, you know, there are people in my life that I haven't issued grace to. Maybe I should practice what I write, what I teach. So what Paul is saying here is I've forgiven Mark. Welcome him into your church. Treat him like a brother in Christ. Give him respect. Love him. This is a big deal. It's not just a a sentence in a paragraph, but it's life that has been issued grace and love through Jesus Christ. When we read this I can't help but think that there are some people where you're thinking, yeah, God's saying, I know you were a quitter. (laughs) I know you walked away. I know you gave up on me. But you see what God is saying through Paul 
is I haven't given up on you. I never walked away. Just because you did doesn't mean I did. You see, the beauty of reckless love says, I will leave the 99 safe Christians who have a relationship with me, who know me, to go down with a reckless abandon to look for the one who's lost. I will not desert them. I will not give up on them. I will recklessly pursue them. See, Colossians isn't just about changing what you believe. You see, it's really about changing who you are. Leaving behind the old to walk into the new. But it's not all that new because it's really the life that you were always meant to live the one God created you from the very beginning to live. A life that was meant to be passion-filled, that was meant to be sorrowful, that was meant to have pain and suffering, all the while knowing you were never alone because Christ is always with you. Jesus is always with you. We just have to acknowledge him. Don't change your circumstances. Let God change you through your circumstances. You know, I'm tempted, and I'm not going to, because this is a perfect segue right into what I want to talk about tonight. So think about all the things I just said and think about what we're going through as a church. You might see some connections. Stand with me. If you would, just reach your hands out and receive this blessing. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. There are so many ways that we fall short of being the person you created us to be. God, I pray that each day we would step a little further into that new life. The life that we were fully meant to live from the beginning. God, I thank you for stories like this young man who's battling cancer. And the only thing on his heart is the people who don't know you and the care and concern for his brothers and sisters who he feels like are having to suffer more than he is. God, I thank you for showing yourself through him. God, help us to be at a place where we can pray about our witness to the world more than about changing the circumstances we're in. God, help us to be your love and your grace to a world who so desperately needs more of you. 
And thank you for the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God and your glory. Amen.